I'm John Caldera, president of Independence Institute. Colorado's Taxpayer Bill of Rights has been under constant assault from the moment we voters approved it in 1992. A new generation of Tabor defenders have come into their own. Ben Murray, fiscal director at the Independence Institute, and Michael Fields, president of Advanced Colorado Institute, explain why Tabor is key to keeping Colorado vibrant. This is the audio version of our television show, Devil's Advocate. You can watch that program by going to youtube.com and searching for our channel, IITV, which stands for Independence Institute TV, or just go to thinkfreedom.org. I know you're going to enjoy this discussion. So when I got into the tax fight back in the 1940s, it was pretty lonely. I didn't know if anybody would you know, pick up the mantle and get going. Now, when these two guys were born, Tabor didn't even, well, it didn't even exist. So I'm glad you guys are, are, are doing this. I helped work on, well, trying to pass Tabor. How old were you in 1992 when the Taxpayer Bill of Rights? Five years old. God, I hate you. <laughs> uh, two years old. That's all the time we have for today. <laughs> Come back later. Michael Fields from Advanced Colorado Institute. Ben Murray from the Independence Institute. All right, just, just curious about this. You guys are part of a new young breed of, of free market fighters here in Colorado. And it's cool to see. I gotta, I gotta tell you once, uh, early on at the Independence Institute, I went, I went to a taxpayer, I think it was a National Taxpayers Union Conference, and there were 200 folks from around the country, and they were all old, grumpy white guys. It was a convention of Doug Bruce's. It was just, <laughs> it was just incredible. There was like one woman there who was just, oh, she was, she was just so sad. Anyway, why, why are you guys in this fight? I want to start with you because you went to school, you went to law school, you could be making real money, you could be doing real things. Why are you fighting for this fight? Yeah, I think, you know, part of it was growing up in Illinois like I did and seeing they could raise taxes <laughs> whenever they want. People started leaving the state. Uh, they wanted to go to places that were a lot more tax friendly. Uh, and Colorado was, was one of these places because of a taxpayer's bill of rights. And so when I got out here and said, you know what, we have a law that ensures that we can vote on tax increases, uh, that's awesome. And the government has to come to us in order to have that discussion. And then on top of that, you know, the Tabor refunds that we're getting, the Tabor cap that is there, that tend to be the, you know, less popular part of Tabor, but now it's very popular because people just got less their- Less popular with whom? Well, less popular with people who want to grow government and, and want to, you know, ensure that government programs get bigger. But part of it wasn't explained to people on, on what it means and what they could potentially get back. And now we're getting $750 checks back saying, do you, you know, do you need that money more? Does government need that money more with cost of living so high and everything else? And so that side of taper has become extremely popular also. And so we're at a point now where 78% of Coloradans Love Tabor when it barely passed uh, back when you know you guys were working on it back in uh, the day. You don't, you don't remember because you were two, but it took took us three tries yep. to get this thing passed, and it wasn't just the state giving money; it was all the other governments that were no were, didn't de Bruce at that point. And so now the state is one of the few governments that still hasn't permanently detabered. You worked for Ted Cruz. You had that cushy job out in D.C. People, all the, all the special interests would come to you because they needed to get to him. Why do you care about the Taxpayer Bill of Rights? Yeah, well, you know, 
let's go to why I came to Colorado. A big part of it is I had worked on Capitol Hill in D.C. for seven years. And when I was up there, I always preached reducing the size of the federal government and returning more power back to the people and the states and local government, which is where I believe most of, most of uh, government power really should belong under our constitutional system. And, and one day it kind of clicked. I was like, why don't I go put my money where my mouth is and, and go to back to back to middle America, go back to back to real America and work at the state level to fight these kinds of fights where I think really a lot of the action should be rather than at the federal level. Now, sadly, the federal government still has a ton of power, but, you know, we have to fight these battles at the state level. The, the, the federal government doesn't have, for example, a, a balanced budget requirement. But I think every state in the country does. Colorado does. Colorado has protections like the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights that the federal government doesn't have. And we've got to protect those at the state level if we're going to continue to kind of protect the liberties and freedoms we have in this country. So sadly, not every state does have a balanced budget amendment. Uh, most of them do. We're lucky to have that here in Colorado. All right. Listen, Boris, let me, let me tell you about what it was <laughs> back in the day. Uh, Roy Romer, the, the fight for... Tabor was just incredible. Uh, we got very close the first time. The second time, we got this close, but the scare tactic was we had to get the, the Tabor said, if you want to raise taxes or fees, you have to get permission. And what they scared everyone with was, so let me see this. Every time the library wants to raise the late book fee from a nickel to a dime, we got to ask everyone with a ballot measure. That's just crazy. Well, that's why Doug Brucelin scrubbed out the fees part, which now, of course, they drive a, a semi-truck through. Roy Romer said, if this thing passed, you can put a going out of business sign on the entrance to Colorado. Uh, he, he was wrong. He, he was like the Paul Ehrlich of Tabor, all right? This thing, it's gonna be, it, the, the, the sky's gonna fall, the population bomb is gonna destroy everything. What was amazing, and the, the problem we had, those of us who, are, who are, want to rein in government spending, or at least have consent, all we wanted was consent. Ask people before you, you raise taxes, is that we passed this wonderful thing. And then we went back to our jobs and our lives. The people who feed off a of government went to work and they started going after Tabor. They started going after Tabor in courts. They started working bit by bit. You know, folks on the anti-spending side, people on the pro-consent side, we feel like if we get just one big win, then we can go back to work. They bit by bit by bit by bit, lawsuit after lawsuit. Um, of course, the big one was you can de-Bruce, get out of Tabor for four years. Supreme Court ruled that four years shall be interpreted as forever. Um, they said, uh, if you want to go into debt, uh, you have to ask permission. They said, as long as you call debt something else, like a certificate of participation, you don't have to worry about debt. Um, and of course, the, the, the piece de resistance of if you're going to go into, um, uh, if you do a fee, you don't have to do it. Thanks to you with uh, Prop 117, you helped, at least on the state level, say you can only go into this. How'd they get around that one? Because they get around it all. Yeah, so basically what we said was if it's a big fee, right? So trying to avoid this still, if it's going to be a $2 fee for the library or something, we said if it's $100 million or more over five years, 
that you have to go to voter approval. And that's what 117 did. And it basically put said that consent applies to big fees too, because fees come out of our pockets the same way. My wallet wallet cannot tell the difference between a tax and a fee. And people know that and people understand that people are frustrated with fees. And so we said, let's put this on the ballot and also say that if some, you know, enterprises, what they call these fees, they put them into enterprises, is that if they serve primarily the same purpose, that they count towards that, that money. Well, what they did is the very next year, right? So they being the legislature. The legislature and the governor. Um, but the very next year, they wanted money for transportation, which had been uh, something that had gotten shot down on the ballot several times. So they didn't want to go back to the ballot. And the very next year, they came and said, we're going to split up this transportation bill into five different enterprises, all that stay under that $100 million mark. Uh, and we're going to pass a $5.4 billion bill uh, over 10 years by doing it this way. And it was funny because, you know, we have these conversations when we do ballot measures with legislative council and they ask, what do you mean by this, et cetera? And I used the example and I said, look, if they did a transportation or gas tax bill where they split it up into four or five enterprises, that's what we're trying to stop by this. And that's exactly what they ended up doing. So we filed a lawsuit. As you mentioned, though, the courts, though, uh, you know, always, yeah, they, Tabor. they do not like Tabor and they'll do everything they can. And this is why I think, you know, we need to go in the future and make a Tabor 2.0 or you know, plug some of these holes that the courts have created in, in Tabor. And so I'd love to see us doing that. But I think still there's still a huge chunk of Tabor that is still there. And it's so important right now because of how uh, the government is at, at the legislature, how many liberals are in charge. This is their last thing. They're still trying to get over that hurdle. But the way they're doing it is by, by raising fees. And you know, when you can raise a $5.4 billion fee without voter approval while you have Tabor, something is not right. What, what bothers me so much is that it's just consent. Tabor is so flexible. You can grow government as large as you want. You can put your great, 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 grandkids into debt as far as you want. You just ask for consent. But they think people are stupid in that, well, you don't know what you really want, right? You you don't like the transportation bill, but you should like it because it's better for you. And therefore, we're going to pass it anyway. Colorado so has that is never arrogant. had a gas fee. We do, <laughs> we do now. We've yeah. only, Col- we are the only state that has a hospital provider fee, fee yeah. a, a bed fee. It's a tax. Every other state has a bed tax. Mm -hmm. And when John Hickenlooper in a speech said, well, we're going to make this into a fee because our polling shows it wouldn't pass as a tax. How arrogant. And that's, that is just, um, oh God, it's, it's so ugly that, that, our legislators know the people do not want this. But what it opens up is a response that we can say, and, and you guys, and, and we've worked on tax cuts. You know, they're like, look, the fees are going up. Everything, you know, they're spending more than ever. We're going to support a, a tax cut. I mean, that thing passed with 65% of the vote, every county but Boulder, because there is that frustration. Even if they're electing these people, they know what they're trying to do, get more of our money to grow government without consent. And so that's when you have to fire back and have these conversations. They look, hey, if you're going to raise fees, we're going to cut taxes. So my tax cut uh, passed every, every county except my oh. county, Boulder. <laughs> it even passed here in Denver. Wow, people must a... really hate you back home, John. <laughs> they really do. It's wonderful. All right, let me... Let me um, let me also say I'm complimented because legislative staff has now used my analogy that uh, budget is a barrel. And I, I, I came up with this to, to illustrate what um, uh, the problem with enterprises. And my idea was that the, uh, the budget is a barrel, revenues go in, 
And when there's too much revenues, it goes over the table limit, what comes out is our refunds. Yeah. We got seven che checks for $750 conveniently just before the election. <laughs> I want to ask you about this too. But when it looks like it's going to get up to the top and we're going to get money, they open up the spigot and they call that a fee. And it goes into another barrel called enterprises. When this, when this passed, Tabor, that other bucket was about a third the size of the main barrel, which is the general fund. This is a bucket that legislators control, our representatives, taxation with representation. The smaller bucket are appointees. Appointees by, appointees by appointees, some by the governor, some by other people. Now that bucket is two thirds the size of the original bucket. So even if you love the, the size of government, if you care about democracy, this is a problem. The fee thing is a problem because now two thirds of our government is run not by elected people. We don't have taxation with representation. I don't care who you are, this should scare the living hell out of you. This is why Tabor matters and why the hole you are trying to plug is so crucial. Do people understand this? I don't think they do. I, I think that there's more education that's needed around um, what the extent to which government's growing beyond the limitations of Tabor. And I think people would be pretty upset to understand that um, the vast majority of spending in this state is not by consent. Well, when I say, I, I shouldn't even just say spending, really taxation, right? Because we call it fees and then there's no consent. Um, so I think that's a real problem. But you know, John, this, this whole conversation, I've been listening to you and Michael talk about this. And, and just in my mind, I keep going back to the founding of this country, the nerd that I am, I keep going back to the founding of this country. I mean, these debates go back to 1776 and they go back to 1876 when Colorado's constitution was written, right? I mean, if you read the Declaration of Independence and the, and the list of grievances, so Jefferson says, you know, um, all just government is derived by, from, from the consent of the governed, right? So this idea of consent is fundamental to who we are as Americans. and. The idea of having representation in government was really just a, a, a practical solution to not being able to get 320 million people in the same room to vote on something, right? But fundamentally, all just power is derived from consent of the people. And then number two, the idea around property rights and taxation is also fundamental to, 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 to that very start of our story as Americans, right? If you look at the Declaration of Independence, he, Jefferson lists all these grievances, and a lot of them don't apply to like quartering troops in our, in our, in our homes and blah, blah, blah. But there's one that sticks out where, where, man, it's so important to this day where he says, oh yeah, and you taxed us without our consent, right? I mean, that gets right at the heart of Tabor. And if you look throughout the history of America and the states like Colorado, there have always been these, these limitations on government. The people have always written into their constitutions including at the state level, limitations. From the very start of this state, there were limitations on government spending, on taxation. And what happens over time is the legislature and the courts erode those protections away over time. And then the people inevitably come back and reinforce them with new things like Tabor. So Tabor wasn't the first limitation on spending and taxation in Colorado, right? But what happened is throughout the 20th century in the post-New Deal era, the courts and the legislature weakened and weakened and weakened and weakened the protections that were already in the Constitution, and the people came and said, okay, we need to limit them again. And to your point earlier, how we kind of need a Tabor 2.0, we're back to that point again, where since Tabor passed, the, the, the courts and the legislature have weakened and weakened and weakened Tabor, have weakened the ability of the people to consent to their government. And we kind of do need new protections again. 
And I would add this, that I think, you know, education is needed. More people are coming into our state that have never heard of Tabor or understand exactly what it is, right? Uh, you have so many new people coming, so we have to be educating them. But they also just fundamentally get, if the budget goes up two or three billion dollars in one year, that these legislators and governor aren't saving people money, right? It's coming <laughs> out of our pockets and making it that simple. Of You might not understand cash funds and enterprises and everything else, yeah. but you understand that government is growing faster than our paychecks are. Right, and as we have uh, cost of living going up, as we're spending more on stuff, and government's growing faster than our wages are, something is not right. And so that's where I think the combination of yes, a Tabor 2.0, educating people, having this discussion, but then also putting tax cuts on the ballot to say, do you like the direction that this is going in, or do you want some of that money back in your pocket? And that's why I think, you know, especially with younger people who might not agree on everything politically, they still like the consent side. They still like smaller government that has to come to them and ask them if they have more money that they want from us. And so I think it's very hard to argue against the basic fundamental parts of Tabor. Uh, and I think you've seen the Democrats now, you know, when it's election season, jump on board and say, yes, we, we're the ones doing this. It's the Colorado cash back, right? And, and legislators in DC saying, you shouldn't be taxing our Tabor refunds. We're gonna protect that uh, forever. And, and while, you know, other legislators are going trying to take this money away from us. So you have a very interesting, they know how popular it is, um, but we have to keep educating people as they come into our state of white. So it, it really was entertaining that during the election, they're there handing out these checks and they want to bring them forward. By the way, fine, go ahead, bring the checks forward. That was just yeah. terrific. Uh, but the year before and the years before, they tried to take them away. Every, every couple of years, they've got a, a way to try to get the state to join, you know, the 80, 90 percent of cities and local governments that have permanently taken away those refunds. I want to bring I want to bring back the original intent of the Taxpayer Bill of Rights that says, yes, you can get out of uh, the, the district doesn't have to give you those refunds for up to four years. And then after four years, they've got to come back and do it again. Uh, that that's one of the protections I want to bring back. You mentioned the history of it. And since you guys are you guys are young, you don't understand what we went through. Uh, there were these uh, reasons Tabor became popular, because during the 80s, we had a huge amount of windfall taxation, to the point that uh, here at, the, at Independence Institute, we were able to change, uh, bring up the information and pressure the legislature and a Democratic governor to go from a progressive income tax to a flat tax. Barry Paulson, our economist at the time, did the modeling and said that a revenue neutral model would have uh, given us a flat tax at four and a half percent. So of course they took 5% uh, so they could get a huge windfall. The other part of it was that they saw how much money was coming through um, during the late 70s and through the 80s. And so the legislature, the Republican legislature, passed the bird arbiscal limitation to try to lock, lock that in as well. So we had all this growth beforehand and they locked that in too. So all the time, Ben, you were right. It grows, it grows, and then the fever pops up and people say enough. We see that every now and then. 117 was part of that. I thought it was gonna be so complicated. Nothing, nothing against you, Michael. Yeah. I thought if people would read this and go, huh, what, huh? It passed, people got it. Yeah. 
And I was like, we were worried about that at the time, thinking this might take a few times like Tabor did in order to educate people about right. what this exactly meant because it's the numbers and enterprises and all this. But people understood that this meant fees. They read their blue book and they understood what money we're talking about here and they passed it on the first try, which was which was something that was good. But I think you're right well, in that. You have a temptation to do a 117 again at a smaller level or? Yeah, I think that what, it more you, takes, I mean, it's statutory, right? And, and you can, again, go around it and it's, you know, the legislature can come up with, I think that we need to do something constitutional that's kind of Tabor 2.0 that includes fees at, 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 you know, whatever level we decide to do it. Also plugs in some of the sunset issues. I mean, there's a bunch of things that we could put into something that I think would pass right now because of the popularity of it. But I do think you're right that, you know, they found a way over years to get around Tabor. It's the same thing, you know, with property taxes, for example, that back in the 80s, they were going up, we passed the Gallagher Amendment, which wasn't perfect and ended up getting repealed. But now we're going to see a 26.5% increase. And I think... Dumb this down yeah. for all of us. When I say for all of us, I'm really talking about me. Yeah. That one of the things that, I'm, that people love about Colorado is the illusion that our property taxes have been lower. Really, with Gallagher, there is a heavier side on commercial property taxes, which we pay for in every time you buy a loaf of bread because King Supers pays a much higher property tax, so we pay a lower one. Gallagher is no more. That protection that, um, uh, that keeps our home property tax going. And of course, this is a revenue boom for the state and local yeah. governments and school districts they were able to get this done. You really were the, the voice against this. You did a, an amazing job. What happens now? And yeah, walk out a little bit here and explain why this is different and why it means a higher taxation. Yeah, so basically because our housing values continue to skyrocket and go up, uh, that there's no more check where that assessment rate, how much of, the, of your house's tax starts is going down. And that's what happened with Because under, under Tabor, let me see if I got yeah. this right. As your property assessment went up, 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 your tax would go down, 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 down. Your tax rate, rate would, would, go, would down. go down. So now, that, now that the amount would stay I mean, under, the same. Under Gallagher. Under Gallagher. Under Gallagher. Yeah, under Gallagher. It wouldn't say the same. It would still grow, but not quite as much, right? So that right. rate would go down. Uh, but now you cannot, uh, basically it froze the rate where it is, right? And so Tabor allows, it doesn't allow you to increase that rate, um, but so it, it stays the This is the California the problem, which is their housing assessments went through the roof, yes. but their rate was locked in, yeah. so it just went crazy up with it. So that's what's and going you, on. You sit there and go, old people are going, my house is now worth $2 million. I bought it for 20000 yeah, And you're paying the tax on the $2 million. Right, right? and now so, I'm broke. So this is the problem that, that is happening, and it's why there's going to be another property tax you know, revolution in the state at some point, because uh, you're seeing a 26.5% increase in one year because of how much values have gone up, right? And so this is something that, uh, you know, is, is something that, again, senior citizens, people that are on fixed income, how are they going to pay for that? And that could happen every two years now that we've gotten rid of, of Gallagher. So again, Gallagher wasn't perfect, but the idea that things happen in cyclical manner, right? That uh, Tabor was put in place for a reason, Gallagher was put in place for a reason, then you take those things away or you blow holes in them and people say, wait a minute, why are, are my, you know, my home value? And they're being valued at a time at the highest part of the market. Last year during June, 
when we had the highest values for our homes, that's what the tax is going to be on. And so this is one where I know, and I saw it early on and said, if you repeal this and don't replace it with anything, we're going to see this huge increase. Yep. They didn't do anything about it. And now we're going to be st stuck with these huge tax property tax increases uh, come next year. I saw, I think it was a CNN business uh, article and it was surprising they found that in some of the richest places in the country, property, uh, I'm sorry, uh, realty costs are going down. So 6% um, realty costs are going down in San Francisco. Costs for homes have dropped 2% in Boulder, mm -hmm. one of the most expensive places to live. So you think about this, and the reason is people can't pay the property tax. So the Boulder, which is isolated because of the green belt, and they, they love, all these rich white guys just love that they pumped up their you know, property tax by making it so exclusive. Now they're going to have to pay for it by, by yeah. making it the, the, the whitest community in Colorado. <laughs> I think the, the other thing you have to remember is we talked about fees and them getting around Tabor in order to do that. But the same thing, when you have this system that we have with property taxes, it's going to be over $3 billion increase in one year that is going to government because of this increase. Both, that, both to local governments, schools, and the state, right? Yeah, so the state, the state basically, because they backfill education, that right. it impacts their budget. So they're super happy about this because the localities will have more money to, to spend on education. Um, but so, you know, property taxes do go to local services, which is important, which means we should have increases when they need it, et cetera. Um, but the fact that we're having a three-plus billion increase in one year. You know, we think about our the property tax. You say three billion and people will be listening and they go, eh, what does that mean? Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it's going to be thousands of dollars for, for most individuals, you know, for individuals. Basically, um, if you have a home, your property tax is going to go up 25%. And, and if yeah. you rent, yeah. your rent will go up. Yeah, that yeah. cost we passed yeah. on. Twenty six point five percent is the amount that it's going to be yeah. going up, and rent similarly that you, somebody has to pay for it, like we said, right? And so this is something that uh, is a huge windfall for government right now. And so they're saying, you know, oh, we're worried about this, we're concerned, but we haven't seen the legislature do anything about it. Uh, and so these are these kind of you know taxes that go around Tabor, right? Fees, well, and, and property taxes, et cetera. And, and Michael, remember the legislature passed that temporary property tax relief, and they've been talking about that. But that just reduced our Tabor refund by the same amount as the property tax relief. So it's not a net tax savings to taxpayers. It's just a shifting of where those taxes are. Say that again, are. because said it quickly. I want to follow it. So, so last year, the legislature and Governor Polis signed this prop, temporary property tax relief to address this issue. Before they, the election. Before the election. They went on their state saying, look at us. We saved you money. We, we, we did this temporary property tax relief, and it's going to be great. But the truth is, is we have these massive surpluses that under Tabor must be refunded to taxpayers. But if you do property tax relief in such a way, which is what they did, that it just decreases the surplus, right? Then everybody's Tabor refund just goes down, which is effectively a tax increase. So right? basically, they took this from the pile of money they're going to give us anyway. They, so they had $100 they're going to give you. And they took $25 to lower your property tax. And then they later gave you, instead of $100, 75 Exactly. And then they said and they, they saved you money. They, they said they... Yeah, so you got the Colorado cashback and property tax relief, and we run ads about how much money we're and saving. And these are the kinds right? of games that are played where, where, we, where, where we say, you know, the legislature has found all these loopholes to Tabor, right? If the ta you know, the, the idea behind the, the Tabor was the consent. The disingenuousness of this, the out-and-out -out lying of it, the, the disrespectfulness of it, if you see what they're doing... This is why people hate politicians. But because 
it takes a couple steps to see that they've just taken this pile of money that by the Constitution, the Constitution, the Constitution of Colorado requires that they give it to you, but instead of just giving it to you, they dole it out and say, this is saving you money, and here's, we're cutting out, oh, this one, we're giving it to you. We, we did this to you. No, Tabor gave it to you. Yeah, and I think that's why when you're explaining it to normal people who have their you know everyday life, they're going to work and everything else, it's staying bigger picture and saying, look, the budget just went up $3 billion this year. You're paying $3 billion more in property taxes. This is how much it means. This is $1,000 extra on your property tax bill, et cetera. And you know, we can get into the weeds on it and what this means and everything, but how do we tap into them understanding that people aren't getting their money, You know, they're not saving people money if you're paying more in property taxes in normal taxes and, and fees. And this is one where, you know, when people can really grasp onto something, we had the, the gas fee, but also with that was ride sharing and deliveries, right? And if you went door to door during the election, people were mad about the delivery fee they had to see every time. And so this is that there's gonna be a response and it's the time to tap in to that frustration that people have and say- What you're talking about on the delivery fee is, yeah. make an order on Amazon. Sometimes they put it all in the same box. Sometimes they send it to you in 10 boxes. Yeah. They send it to you in 10 little- 27 uh, cents, every box. Every, every, every little envelope is 27 cents extra, 27 yeah. cents extra. And so you're paying 200 and two, uh, two bucks and 70 cents every time they send you an envelope. Why am I paying this? And it's because of these little fees. Well, and because they called it a fee, it's not subject to Tabor. They didn't ask our consent to pass that fee. And it's, it's uh, I do believe some of that fee revenue from the, from the transportation bill is subject to, to the Tabor limit and some's not, right? That some, some of it went to, to enterprise. It's not even subject to the Tabor spending limit. Independence Institute was crucial in the formation of the flat tax, crucial in the formation of the taxpayer bill of rights, crucial in lowering the taxes. We've got a long-term goal of getting rid of the income tax being one of the next states to have zero income tax. Why is this an important goal and how are we gonna, how are we gonna get there? Yeah, you know, when I, when I look at the country right now and I, and I look, I think a lot of people are looking at, <clears throat> at the economy and we're worried about tough times. You know, a lot of people are worried about recession. Uh, so, and I'm just gonna give you one of the many good reasons to, to have a competitive tax code. That is that when, when times get tough, and remember the last recession, the, the global financial crisis that hit in 2007, 2008, 2009, when you, know, when you were in <laughs> third grade? <laughs> when I was in college. <laughs> um, but you know they, you start to see businesses struggling. You start to see people losing their jobs. And when and when that shift happens, people start looking for opportunity. When you when you're in in a, in a state that's difficult to survive in, it's you're, sure you can survive in California, or Illinois, New York in the good times. But when times get hard, you know people start looking. Okay, where's my advantage? Where where am I going to leave now that I lost my job in New York? To, to overcome the difficulties that are happening? Where, where are the opportunities still despite this national recession? And it's in times like that, and I think a lot of us believe very likely times like that are coming up, that it's the states that have favorable policies that allow for human flourishing, that allow for people to, to seek opportunity, pick themselves up by their bootstraps and make something for themselves. Those are the states people go to in those shakeups in the economy. You know, the, the, Fed, the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis puts out, actually I think it's Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas has put, this puts this out, but, but whenever there's a recession, or really anytime, whether there's a recession or not nationally, they show what states individually are in a recession. You know, even in major national recessions, not every state is necessarily in a recession, right? And one way to, to keep Colorado resilient and strong is to have a competitive tax code where people go, wow, Colorado may not have zero income tax now, but, but they're working on a path to zero income tax. They've lowered their income tax twice, which we've, we've done through those tax um, 
decreases that we put on the ballot in the last few years. And they look and they go, gosh, I lost my job here in Illinois and taxes are high. I'm going to go to Colorado. That's a place where they're doing the right thing. They're making their tax code more competitive. Um, and, and, you know, ultimately that's going to be a boon for Colorado. But then obviously, you know, anytime people get to keep more of their own money rather than sending it to politicians and bureaucrats to spend for them, people are going to be better off. Well, there's a reason why Tesla is moving to Dallas or to Texas. There's a reason why so many companies are relocating to zero income tax states. It's why people are moving out of New York and moving out of California. It's why rich people and their businesses are moving to lower tax states. What is it now? And is it is it Arizona is moving to a two percent income tax? I'm trying to recall. Our neighboring states have Wyoming has no income tax. You know, there's a reason why businesses move there, uh, and they're not moving to California. Well, and so there's a good study that that came out. Uh, I, I wish I could I could say who did it, um, but it shows where the companies, the corporate headquarters that are fleeing California because of their their bad regulatory right. and tax environment, where are they going? And the top two states are Tennessee and Texas, both yep. zero income tax states. Um, and Tennessee and, also a right to work state. Yep. And so that's very telling. And, and, and it shows, I mean, the data bears out that tax policy matters and good favorable tax policy, tax policy that doesn't reward productivity, or sorry, does, that rewards productivity rather than punishing productivity are the places that people go for opportunity. Which yeah. also goes into the, the crazy regulatory state that is coming to Colorado. So we might, and I know the regulatory world is, is, is not your bailiwick as far as policy, but now that Colorado is following the California model of crazy regulation, crazy anti-energy, uh, uh, crazy union-esque uh, uh, worker regulation, it's going to become less and less friendly to do work here. And we're already 36th in the country when it comes to the cost of doing business. Uh, and we're moving in the wrong direction in that. And so every little bill that they pass as the legislature uh, adds up and it hurts businesses. And eventually they're going to decide uh, to go somewhere else. Or if they're choosing between states, like you said, if they want to go to Texas or here, which state is going to be more friendly to them. So I think there is this competitiveness nature of lowering the income tax and how important that is. It's just good policy. But the other side of it is how much do we really want government growing all the time and how well do they do with our money and what are the outcomes that we're getting because of it? And so that's one of the things that concerns me is, yes, I want, you know, the the fundamental things, building roads, uh, making sure our kids get educated. But we've seen the growth of, of government and our lives better off because of it. Right. Are we having better outcomes because of it? Are our roads still as bad or our schools still as bad, even though we're dumping more money in? So it's the accountability side that I like about Tabor and lowering the income tax, too, is saying, you know what, let's have that discussion about the role of government, how well they're doing. Are they being held accountable? Um, and that is something that is addressed by both Tabor and income tax cuts, too. You know, I love that point about the growth of government. So when I was looking at this data recently, when Tabor was passed, the state budget was around $5 billion. Today, it's $40 billion, right? So it's an eight-fold increase or an 800% increase. Do you know what, median, do you know what median, median household income was in the early 90s? Around $40,000. You know what it is today? About eighty. It's only doubled while the state budget has increased eight times over the same period. People in Colorado come to Colorado for a lot of different reasons. When I got here in 1970, it was about 1.2 million people. And I miss it. You know, I miss it. And there was a draw here. And I'm, I'm getting too romantic because in your old age, that's what you do. 
And it seemed like people came here to write their own biography, to take risks, to, to try to create, to start businesses. It's different now. I think people come here, the skiing is great, the weed is great, the craft brew is great, you know, you can, you know, and it's still good, and they want guaranteed outcomes. Government has the illusion of guaranteed outcomes. Uh, and it's gonna take a while, as it has in California, for a lot of that to fall in on itself. And so we free marketeers understand that over time, these illusions fall in. But I think most people don't quite get that. So the idea of outlawing gas stoves feels good. Yeah, you know, all these things feel great. It does take time. We know what the end of this experiment is, gonna, is, is going to be. The beautiful thing about the Taxpayer Bill of Rights is that people know they want to be asked. People don't see the fees. People don't see the refunds on all the 5,000 governments because they might be tiny little refunds. When I was on the RTD board, we had to give back refunds. Mm -hmm. How do you give back refunds on, on the RTD board? Well, we could give back checks, but we decided to lower our sales tax temporarily. Nobody saw that. Nobody saw that, but it was good policy, but nobody saw it like getting the check. You know, if, if, I, if I could go back in time, we would write out a check <laughs> to everybody at RT, in the RTD district, and even if it was for $10, I would go, here's $10, for, with a big thing saying, because of the Taxpayer Bill of Rights. And people go, that's nice. Right. You know, of course, you young people don't know how to endorse a check, but you know, we find a way. Um, I would say, what, what is, what is, what is this piece of paper? Which just means you wouldn't cash it, and next year it would be $15. You know, <laughs> um, um, when you say a, a Tabor 2.0, keep in mind, because of the changes to how we amend the Constitution, it will only take 50, point, 50 plus 1 votes to repeal all of Tabor, to pass a new Tabor. It's going to take 55% plus one. Yeah. It's, Can we do it? And I think it's possible. I mean, I think with the numbers that we're seeing on the income tax cut where it passes with 65%, if you make a good case, if you uh, put stuff in there that, that people agree with, I think you can get over that 55 margin. But yes, it is funny how they, you know, to repeal something, it's only 50% because they, uh, know because they, they wanted, wanted to do, they they wanted to do you know, it. A simple solution to, to this and it w would be something like a, a sustainable budget amendment where, you know, Part of the problem with, with the growth of revenue since the passage of Tabor is they've created so many new revenue streams from fees and other things outside of Tabor, right? And so what you could do is you could come in and you could say, you know what, what we're going to do is we're actually just going to li limit the state budget every year by inflation and population growth, right? So you still have Tabor, but you won't be able to just get around, uh, sort of get around those limitations by creating new revenue streams. You just say, okay, well, you know what, we're just going to cap the entire budget by revenue revenue or population growth and inflation. That's an idea. Yeah, and I think there are idea. there are ideas like that 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 could work. I think the key though hmm. is that we want to keep fighting um, on these things. And, and you're right that certain policies lead to certain outcomes, and we know that, right? I, as I said, I grew up in Illinois and in Chicago, and I know 
what happens. But on the other hand, we do have platforms and organizations that can go and push good policy, can put stuff on the ballot. A unique thing in Colorado that isn't everywhere, uh, but is in several states, is having these ballot initiatives and bringing stuff straight to the people and saying, what do you think about this, whether it's an issue on crime or taxes or, or education or whatever it is. And also knowing that we need a lot of good elected officials in all these local races because there are so many districts that are giving back Tabor or could cut their mills if they have extra money, et cetera. But this is a long-term battle. And because we have kids in, that are growing up in the state too and want to stay here, that we have to have that fight, whether it's Tabor 2.0, whether it's another tax cut. Uh, but you know, if we know that, that the state still leans center-right on fiscal issues, then why don't we bring it to them, have that discussion, and show that alternative? Because once things start getting worse and worse, let me what be, other options are there? Let me be cynical. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't let, expect anything let different. Let me be extra cynical. So, yes, I'm glad my tax cuts passed. But the other side hates productive people. They hate rich people. They believe that they can get all the money they need from taxing rich people out of existence and that there's somehow enough money to get all the money they need. Yeah. I think their math is terribly, terribly off. And people can leave, right? Like that's, they yeah. can go somewhere yeah, else. They, right? they, well, they, the one, I think they think rich people have more money than they do. I mean, they can, you can tax all the billionaires in America and there's still not enough money to, to cover what, what they want. The other thing that I think our friends on the left forget is that rich people have feet. With, you know, they, can, they can go someplace else that won't take their money, and they do that. Look at what's going on in California. Well, and the opposite's true. You, you, you make the tax environment more friendly, they have feet to come here too and bring right. their jobs and their businesses and the economic growth and the wealth for, for, for everybody who lives here with them. Well, and also when you make the entitlement state too uh, tempting, people come for that too. Uh, wait until they start giving $5 million reparations in San Francisco. We'll see how, how, that, how that works out. Anyway, yes, they passed my tax cut by 30 whatever points. Incredible. But what if uh, somebody puts on a progressive income tax that says, if you make $100,000 or less, we're gonna give you a bigger tax cut. Uh, so you're, instead of just getting, you know, $100 more back a year on some tiny tax cut, we're going to give you $1,000 back. But those bastards up there who make more money, instead of them getting $5,000 tax cut, they're going to pay $100,000 more in new taxes. And therefore, it's actually a redistribution scheme. They're going to pay a lot more and we're gonna redistribute it to you guys right here. Then, you know, will, will a flat tax look so, so great? Let, let me take this one. People in Colorado need to understand. I mean, the left- You need to understand, mind you. When somebody starts an answer like that, I know you're a parent, and you need to understand, <laughs> sorry, you've already lost. That, uh, that doesn't work. No, this is important, right? The left will make all these complicated arguments about, you hear words like regressivity and progressivity and fairness and this and that. Cut through all of the nonsense. If voters ever approve that kind of a change that you're talking about, if they ever approve a progressive income tax, Which Tabor is effectively abolished. Those $750 checks you got in the mail, you will never get one again. It Which is, is what they want. It is over. Which is what they want. But they won't sell it that way. They won't come out and say, oh, pass this so that you'll never get a Tabor refund again. But that's the truth. Why is uh, that? Because uh, it gets complicated. But, but effectively, they'll- Talk down to they'll, me, they'll, talk to me like a kid. They'll always be able to raise taxes on this state anytime they want to, if they, if they get those tax reforms pushed through. 
Explain and they'll that. exempt those new taxes from Tabor, which means your refunds will go away. Let me see if I'm following you. Once we have a progressive system, what they'll do is say, you know, just like they do with hotel taxes and cigarette taxes and taxes on the other guy, just like they did with Proposition GG, which is to tax rich guys to buy free lunches for just slightly less rich guys' kids, which is once we have that system, we're just going to keep taxing rich guys and taxing rich guys until there are no more rich guys. Right. So in other words... So uh, they'll ask the 90% if it's okay to raise taxes on the 10%. The 90% likely will say yes, right? So state which is revenues, exactly what they did with GG. Which is exactly right. what they did there, which means state revenues go up. But under the surface, you have to understand that those 10%, those business owners, they're going to pass those costs along to you. So you, as a consumer, so people going, going to buy cars or groceries, whatever else it is, you will be paying that tax effectively. Because so your tax our flat will, tax, because taxes are also on corporations. So you're effectively, your tax burden will go up by whatever amount of the tax, the tax increase is. Now it's hidden. They'll say, oh, we're only ta taxing the 10% of the population. No, you're, those 10% are the people who, who run businesses and create jobs. And they're going to pass those costs on down to consumers. Right? So your taxes will go up. You will absorb that tax burden. But they'll likely get a yes from voters. right? And when they, when they put that on the ballot, they'll also include a provision that says, and exempt these taxes from t the Tabor limit, right? which means your Tabor refunds will go away too. I think the other complex thing about this is just we talked about signature gathering and you know yeah. repealing stuff, et cetera. They tried to put a progressive uh, income tax on the ballot a couple of years ago. The left did uh, bell policy in them, and you know just because you need to uh, to repeal something, it only needs fifty percent of the vote. They still got to get signatures in every state senate district, and so they went out there and spent one point five million dollars, didn't get the signatures they needed to do it. Uh, that's step one. It's very difficult. I think people understand how hard it is to get certain stuff on the ballot, um, but then the discussion in the education piece of what, you know, getting rid of the, the flat income tax would mean for the state. And, and can you convince people? Uh, I don't know. I think that's a, a, a thing that we haven't that. seen yet. But I will say this. I do think that we have a narrow window right now while Governor Polis is the governor of the state who agrees with us on a lot of issues like the, the income Agreed. tax cut and saying what comes next after Governor Polis, uh, it's going to be way more extreme on, on fiscal issues. And so this gives us a narrow window to pass things, to do the Tabor 2.0, to have this discussion, to educate people, uh, because this is, you know, it, it's still bad, and he still signed the fee increase for, for the gas tax and still is growing government. But think about what comes after that with a legislature the way that it is, almost veto-proof. Uh, and then they can put, this is the thing, it's like for Tabor, they could put it on the ballot without getting signatures with one Republican support, which they're not going to get, but they win more seats. They're going to be sending stuff to the ballot all the time uh, to change the progressive income tax system, to change Tabor. So I think this is a time over these next few years when we really have to educate, dig in, pass good policies, uh, or you know it really does get bad quickly. I take exception to one thing. You can put it on the ballot with a supermajority vote. They don't need to put it. You said all they need is one more vote, one Republican vote, which they won't get. You not listen to Caldera's political axiom. <laughs> there is always one squishy Republican vote. Maybe, I don't know. Priola has already flipped parties, <laughs> so like, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. But, I don't know. There's always yes, but it could happen, it right? Could happen. And it's one it vote happen. that is is holding up, and the governor has no say on if they refer measures 
to the ballot. So that is something that's very interesting. And it's something that I fear on Tabor is, you know, we're in the middle of session, but by the end of session, when they don't have to, you know, get along with, with polis in order to fit, do they start sending stuff to the ballot and, and saying, we're going to, we're going to, whatever, you know, our wish list is uh, at the end of session, when the worst stuff passes, when the hospital provider fee bill, when uh, the gas tax thing went to the ballot, the end of session is the scariest time in Colorado. Is, so I'm worried about that. This does, have, I don't want to say it's scary, but it's, it says a lot that the best hope for taxpayers right now might be our governor, who is not stupid on fiscal policy. He is a flat tax enthusiast. He has said, since we've pushed the issue, and thanks Heidi Ganahl for pushing the issue of a flat tax, he supports a zero income tax. He wants to get there. I think he gives that lip service and not going to spend any political capital on it but he says he wants it. If he becomes a contender for the White House, which I put in the realm of possibility, you know, he has to think about a national constituency, not just Colorado. He might actually become an ally for Colorado taxpayers in this coming, coming year or coming two years. Who knows? Um, that that helps us. Yeah, it's a story to watch just because of the dynamics of you have an extremely far left legislature who wants to take all of our money, our Tabor refunds, wants to raise taxes, everything else. And then you have Polis who will only go certain, you know, will only go so far on this stuff and, and agrees with us in theory and sometimes in reality. And But that's, I think, the most interesting dynamic right now is this super, basically a super majority at the legislature and then a governor who pushes back on some of this stuff. But again, I'm worried about what happens after him, right? And I don't know if he, yeah. you know, gets more liberal because he wants to run for president or gets more conservative because he has a, I mean, those are political calculations. I'm worried about the next person and that comes in and what they're able to do. And so I think, you know, our last line of defense right now on some tax issues is the governor, but it's also us going to the ballot, having the conversation with voters, working on these at local levels all the way up to the state level. And so that is what I see as the, you know, something like Tabor passed, you know, decades ago now still has a huge impact right now. How do we pass that next thing or how do we defend it in order to ensure that 30 years from now, uh, you know, our kids are in a state and growing up in a state that hasn't gone totally off the deep end? Well, I think a big part of that is path to zero, right? Moving towards that zero income tax, ratcheting down the income tax. Governor Polis, you're talking about Governor Polis and him being an ally. Well, he also needs to put his money where his mouth is, right? He's been talking about wanting to incrementally move towards zero income tax. He said in his State of the State address this year that we should use state surpluses, these incredible surpluses we have from our economy, we should use those revenue surpluses to, to continue lowering the income tax rate, right? So based on current revenue forecasts from state economists, worst case scenario, state surpluses, the excess that has to be refunded to voters will never drop below $470 million. That means we could right now lower our state income tax rate from 4.4% to 4.25%, and it would never, never touch the state budget. Why is Polis not going to the legislature and saying, get this done? There's no reason not to. If he truly believes it, he needs to expend the political capital. He needs to put his money where his mouth is. And he could do this just as Bill Owens, when he was governor, was in the exact same situation. We worked with him to do so, and he brought it over the course of two different tax cuts, from 5% uh, to 4.63%, doing exactly what you said. He said, why, why give back money? Why not just stop collecting it? And this governor knows this. This is a perfect time for him to do this. It's a perfect time, particularly if he's running for president, to say, in this blue of blue states, I got this done. 
And more than that, the legislature last year when they sent out those, those table refunds early, which I think was a great thing because inflation's high. It's better I get my money sooner. Right? When they did that, a lot of critics said, I think including you, Fields, said, hey, this is really just trying to bribe voters right before Which, the election. By the way, and it was. And it was. But their defense was valid. They said, no, 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 no. We think it's a good thing with inflation super high for people to get their money a little sooner instead of having to wait another six months. Well, if that's true, then why don't you cut the tax rate right now so we get to keep that money on our paycheck instead of having to wait a year or more to get the money back? Yeah. So, and, for, so, and people, just so make sure people following you. Yeah. Because if he cuts it right now, it means everybody's withholding in their paycheck gets cut right now. Exactly. Okay. So right now, inflation's your one-year inflation, year-over-year inflation is six and a half percent almost, right? So in the year or more that you wait to get that money back that was withheld from your paycheck that we know we're going to have to refund, it loses six percent of its value, right? So under the under the legislature's logic from last year when they sent out those those Colorado cash back out early. There's no reason why we shouldn't just cut the income tax rate to 4.25%. Yet, there was a bill that was offered by a freshman representative that would have done exactly that. It would have taken the income tax rate to 4.25%. And guess what? The leadership in the legislature, the Democratic leadership, sent it to the kill committee, and every single Democrat voted to kill it. That tells me that their excuse, they really just cared about inflation, was disingenuous. That tells wait, wait. me that they really just sent out the checks to shocked. bribe voters. I am shocked yeah, and- that there is gambling in this establishment. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that was the point You know, at the time, is I knew that these legislators weren't actually supporting Tabor, didn't want to get the money out, weren't happy about it, uh, that they were going to go right back the next session to try to take that money away. Because we lived through 2019 Prop CC, uh, where they were trying to take our Tabor refunds when it was $30 million. Now it's $3 billion, right? But I think you look at, the, we knew at the time this was a political move. I was happy that they were doing it. Let's do it forever, right? But that's not what's happening uh, because the legislature fundamentally against re, you know, refunding any of this money to taxes. And, and isn't that something? In 2019, Governor Polis and, and, and Democrat legislators went around the and state. Priola, but, and Priola. Uh, <laughs> he said, he he said Democratic legislators. <laughs> they went around the state and they said, they, they, they tried to push Proposition CC, which would have ended Tabor refunds forever. Voters, thank goodness, had to be asked, and they said no. And so in 2022, they send out checks. They don't call them Tabor refunds. They call them Colorado cash back. They were Tabor refunds. And they campaigned on them and said, look how wonderful this is that we're sending you these Tabor refund checks that just a couple years ago we tried to get rid of, right? And then now that they have the opportunity to do what they said they were doing with those, they, they refuse to do it because, well, the election's over now. I think it's pretty All obvious. All right, last question. Let you guys go, go have a life. What are the chances this legislative session that they do something to take our Tabor refunds? Um, I think I know that- I, this, this seemed like a very good possibility. I'm thinking it's going to be harder for them to do that. Yeah, I think that it's maybe 50-50 at this point. But again, it would be at the end of session when all the deals are made and everything else happens uh, because they can go around the governor in order to, I think they want to do it. The question is, is you know, do they wait another year? Are you telling me not? the governor doesn't want to give up the, the, the governor doesn't want to take our refunds? I, I don't think that at the, today, after the Colorado cashback, running on it, doing all that, that today he would be supportive of, of doing that. If it was on the ballot, I don't think that he would support that the way that he did in 2019. That is, you I know. mean, they're looking at finding a way to do it without our consent. Yeah. You know, just doing another fee and taking it out of our... Yeah. I mean, I think they definitely try to go after the refunds in some way, but I, I don't... 
I don't know if it is this session. I do think that there's going to be something on the ballot, whether it is a referred measure or not. I think a lot of these you know, left-leaning groups are waiting to see, does the legislature do anything? If not, we're going to go and try to do a progressive income tax or take Tabor refunds anyway, go get the signatures in order to do it. So I think we're going to have a battle on this uh, election. But I, I think the key, and it's the thing that I love about the issue of, of Tabor, is that grassroots love defending Tabor. They like talking about it. If I go and speak anywhere, people are passionate about this. We saw it in 2019, the movement to go against taking our Tabor refunds, and that was when it was only 300 million, right? So I think that is what gives me confidence that we can go and defeat this, is the grassroots, everyday people love getting involved in this kind of fight. And also today, it's different because we're hurting. You know, we can't buy eggs. Uh, people, you they, they feel the pain more now than ever before. They feel it with crime. They, they feel it with how ugly our cities have become. They're feeling it because they are, we can't buy the same. And people who are actually at the stores trying to feed their family, they feel it more because I don't care what the numbers are. As a single dad, I can tell you, your dollar doesn't go as far and the official numbers don't show it. Here in Colorado, inflation is worse than most of the country. And, and we feel it. Those of us who have to do the shopping, we feel it. All right, people want to learn more about Advanced Colorado Institute. Yeah. AdvancedColorado.org. Uh, we're dealing with a bunch of issues, including taper issues. And crime. You guys and crime, are, yes, yeah. we are. Don't worry. We're gonna Another be, episode. No, no, and <laughs> we're going to be one of the top 10 safest states before you <laughs> know it. Because he said it, right? We're saving people money and being safe. Right? Last, last governor, last guy I know who did that, we ended homelessness permanently. John Hickenlooper, yes. Yeah, so it was did. pretty good. Yeah. People want to learn more about the Fiscal Policy Center at II. So you can go to thinkfreedom.org and go to Issues Fiscal, uh, or you can just you know Google our work. You can look at Ben Murray. Um, Don't Google look at that. Ben Murray. <laughs> I've looked at him too much. <laughs> you can go to Google Ben Murray, find a lot of my op-eds, and that sort of thing is a great way as well. Thank you both. Thanks. You're going to be old before you know it. Like you. Thank you. This is John Caldera, and if you've enjoyed this episode of Devil's Advocate, I hope you'll share it with a friend. You can listen to more episodes on all streaming services, with new ones being released weekly. And remember, this is the audio from our television show. To watch the video version, just search the letters IITV for Independence Institute TV on YouTube for this and many other great conversations. Mm -hmm.